this book, the Bible. Oh, Father, whose spirit inspired the words we are about to look at, words that are about your son, I pray that you would help us to heed these words from your word this morning. And Lord, that you would use them to shape the way we look at the world, the way we view ourselves, the way we view our neighbors, the way we view our government, the way we view all of your gifts to us. May your words, the words that spoke life from nothing, the words that sustain the universe, the words that stand behind the laws of gravity and the laws of motion, keeping these planets moving, the words that design those laws, may those words that gave us this book, may they pierce our hearts today. And may my voice be, and my tone, only be a tool in service to the word today. And we pray that your word would do the work. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, so this morning we are continuing on in our study of the biblical book of Daniel in the Old Testament. Jacob's giving me a motion that it's not on. It's on here, so that's on your end. Um, maybe turn on the, it should be turned on. Somebody uh, knows how to do it in there, maybe they can help you. Um, we have a special room. <laughs> On the side there, uh, and it's got a, a separate mic. Mine says it's on. So, alrighty, uh, we'll keep moving. Daniel, um, in the Old Testament, is one of the most amazing books of the Bible. Daniel is actually the whole story of the Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament in a nutshell. Okay. The book of Daniel is like the whole story of the Bible in a nutshell. Genesis 3, which we read earlier, is like Genesis 3 in reverse. Genesis 3 shows how Adam, the first Adam, lost the glory and the honor of representing God by listening to Satan, the craftiest of the beasts, the wild animals. Satan, a spiritual power, using a serpent, led the Son of God, Adam, astray. And Daniel shows us how a son of Adam, a son of man, once again, is given authority and dominion over the beasts in Daniel chapter 7, over Satan. And he is given a kingdom over which he will rule, a kingdom that will never end. And that son of Adam is the man, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Daniel, when we are preaching through Daniel, I want you to know that what you see on Sunday mornings is just the way it's got to be. It's the tip of an iceberg. There is so much that we could cover that we just can't. Um, it is an amazing book. And as a preacher, I, I want to fit it all in, but it, it's hard to know what... We just can't. We could be here for hours. And so... Two things that I want to encourage you. If you want to dig a little deeper in Daniel, 
Brian Barrett, former pastor here at New Creation Church, who we sent, he's getting his PhD right now in Kansas City. Uh, Brian Barrett wrote a small commentary, or is in the process of writing a small commentary on Daniel. And um, each chapter, he writes maybe 10 or 15 pages. You want a little bit more? You want to dive a little deeper? Um, it's extremely helpful, this commentary, like no other that's been written on the book of Daniel so far. It's very, very helpful because it shows you how to preach Jesus the way the author of Daniel would want you to preach Jesus. How to preach Jesus from Daniel the way the author would want. It's a very good book. So I can email it to you if you want that. The other thing that you could do is go to our church's website and search through the Bible with Brian episodes. And Brian did three lectures on the book of Daniel. Brian has thought about the book of Daniel and written about the book of Daniel for years. It's, he's probably going to do his dissertation on something like how Daniel is using Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, in Daniel's writing. Daniel, when he writes his Bible, his book, he's drawing from everywhere. He's drawing so many verses from the Old Testament and themes are just reverberating through Daniel. And it is just a glorious book. So, if you, if you understand Daniel, you understand the whole Hebrew Bible. That's a tall claim, but I think it's true. So my point is, on Sunday mornings, you just get a little sneak peek. I'm trying not to get anybody lost. If you would like to look at the sermons so far, I'm just jumping in here new, um, we preached the last two Sundays on the book of Daniel. So those are up on Facebook or our website. You can either watch the video or listen to it while you walk around the house. Um, the first sermon I gave was an overview of the book of Daniel, and the second sermon was um, Daniel chapter 1. So, I just remember. Ken, you didn't give me the evil eye. I forgot to turn the recorder on for the website. Which, uh-oh, batteries are dead. Guess you'll have to transcribe this one. Alrighty. Te technical problems today. Alright, so Daniel chapter 2. Last week, you may remember that we read the introduction to Daniel and we worked through it in three steps. The introduction, chapter 1. We saw the main purpose of Daniel is to show that God is sovereign and he's in complete control over the rise and fall of the kingdoms and nations in this world. And that God will install or put his king, Jesus, as the king of the whole world. And we saw a glimpse of this, actually, in the beginning of Daniel. What does it look like for God to take down kings or set up kings? Well, at the very beginning of chapter 1, God actually gives his people's king, King Jehoiakim of Judah, into the hands of this evil empire of Babylon, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Well, because Jehoiakim, king of Judah, was a very evil man and had led the whole nation into rebellion against God. And so God sent them into exile in Babylon. God is sovereign over the kings of the earth. In chapter 2, we see this again. God's kingdom, in chapter 2, we're going to see, beats all other kingdoms. God sets up kings... He takes kings down until the day that he puts his king on the throne, Jesus 
wins. You could summarize the book of Daniel as Jesus wins. You could also summarize that as the whole message of the Bible. Jesus wins. It ends with the words, Come, Lord Jesus. Come again. And finish the job. So, today, we're going to look at chapter 2, and we're going to work through it in four steps. And I'm going to read it in four sections. So, I'm not going to read the whole of chapter 2, so if you could turn to Daniel 2, I would encourage you to do that. Um, and if you have your own Bible with you, and you have a pen near you, if you... I, I don't know. Some people don't like to write in their Bibles. It's a translation um, that you're reading. It's not like it's scribbling on something holy if you write in it. Um, it it's a great idea to write in your Bible. So then you can find things. Oh, why did I highlight that? Oh, it's important. So if you have your Bible with you today, um, I encourage you to open it and to highlight stuff. And hopefully you're able to track a little better with what's going on as I read. So, in chapter 2, we're going to see four things, four steps in the story. First, we're going to see a mysterious dream. A mysterious dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. Second, we'll see that there is a God who reveals mysteries. So this dream doesn't remain a mystery. God is a God who reveals mysteries. And in the third section, we'll see the interpretation of the king's mysterious dream. You ever had any wild dreams? We're going to read about one. And then fourth and finally, we'll look at the king's response to the revelation of his dreams. King's response. So first, a mysterious dream. Look with me as we read together Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, remember that's the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, that's another word for Babylonians, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time, because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, and if you're the highlighting person, verses 10 and 11 are key verses you can highlight them. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. 
For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. Verse 11, the thing the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. king of Babylon has a temper tantrum. It's a scary thing. So the decree went out, and the wise men are all about to be killed. It'd be like Trump commanding his entire cabinet to be destroyed. <laughs> oh my gosh, what's going on? After commanding them to do something completely impossible. Make gold. Make stone into gold or something. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Does he really need to put us all to death right now? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And the Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Alright, so this ends the first section. And just briefly, just think about it for a minute. The request of the king. If I told you, guys, I had a crazy dream last night, and I really want to know what it means. What would the first thing that you asked me be? What was your dream? Right? Tell me about this dream. And what would you say if I said, no, you tell me what I dream, and then you tell me what it means. And if you don't, then I know that you didn't really know what the meaning of the dream was. You know, that you're just making it all up. The wise men say, King, this is humanly impossible. They, they know it. Nobody can do that. We don't know what you dreamed. I don't know what my wife dreamed last night. Sometimes she has she can have some pretty crazy dreams. What does it what does it mean? I, I don't I don't know. If it, especially if you don't tell me. And then verse 9, they say, No king has ever asked this before. Like in the history of kings, there's never been a king who's said, Tell me my dream. Like this isn't how the job, this wasn't in our job description. When we signed up to be your, your, your staff, your team, this wasn't included. Now, notice verse 11. I had you highlight this. This is important. The wise men of Babylon say, you're asking us to do what only God can do. Only the gods. They think there's lots of gods. Only the gods can do this. And notice what they said. Unfortunately, we got a problem there, too. They don't live here. The gods do not dwell with men. But there is a God who dwells with men by the Spirit. These men don't know him, but Daniel does. You see how the story sets us up for this? Daniel's God is with him. And he is a God who can do what the king asks. So that's the second part in verses 17 to 35. We see the God who reveals mysteries. Again, if you're highlighting mine, get your highlighter out. Then 
Samuel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions. And he told them, guys, we're going to die, right? If we don't get this interpretation. So, verse 18, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, the key phrase, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in vision of the night. Then God blessed, then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, and here's his praise song to the Lord, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, even to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. Key phrase here, he removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste, and thus said to him, I have found among the exiles of Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, who he renamed Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Like, can you do what nobody else is able to do? And look at what Daniel says. This is awesome. Verse 27. Daniel says, Nobody can do it. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery the king has asked. You can almost see, like, I can imagine, like, the king raising his sword, right? Okay, you can't, what's this meaning about that? You just said you can't do it. I'm, okay, prepare to die. What does Daniel say? Verse 28, key verse. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he made known, he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar, what will be, this is a key verse, in the latter days. You've been listening to me preach or Brian preach at all. You know, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that phrase, in the latter days or at the end of days, is just like a hyperlink in the Bible. It links to lots of other places that talk about Jesus. So he's going to tell you, O King, what's going to happen at the end of days, the end times, the days we're living in right now. Your dream, he says, and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, here's the dream, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me. Not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And here's what he saw, verse 31. Here's the dream, ready? You saw, O king, and behold, and here's a key phrase, a great image. Now your translation might have something different. Literally the word here is image. We'll talk about the significance of that in a minute. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before
before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its leg of feet, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, here's a key line, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. And here's another key phrase. The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So, let's go back and notice some of the key details of the verses we highlighted there as we're going through. First, verse 19, notice the mystery of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream is revealed to Daniel. It's revealed. Several times the passage says what is mysterious has now been revealed. What is mysterious is revealed. It's not a mystery anymore. And it is God who reveals mysteries. Notice verse 20 and 21. As Daniel's praising God, he says a little glimpse of what the dream is about. Notice verse 21. He removes kings and sets up kings. So, that's what this dream here is about. What's this dream about? The removal of kings and the setting up of the exalting of new kings. Rulers. Until a final kingdom. Verse 35, when God's kingdom, represented by a great mountain, falls like a rock, smashes all the other kingdoms, turns them to dust, and it grows into a mountain and fills the earth. That whole idea, we already said, is one of the main purposes of the book of Daniel. God is in control of the rise and fall of human kingdoms until Jesus comes and establishes God's kingdom, which will grow and grow and grow and grow until he returns. And it will have no end. Now, God has revealed this mystery to Daniel, the things to come. And I like how Daniel gives all the credit for the dream interpretation to God. He doesn't take any credit himself. You see that in verse 26? Are you able to interpret the dream, asks the king? Nope, says Daniel. I can't. I'm no different than the wise men. But my God is there. He's a God that dwells with man. He has made it known. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Verse 26. It's so sad. 27. And he has made known the dream and its interpretation. And then, I already mentioned this, but verse 28, we read that God has made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the latter days, or at the end of days, it says quite literally. Whenever you see that phrase in the Bible, it's like a blue hyperlink in a website. What does a hyperlink do when you click on it? It takes you to another page, right? 
is that page that it takes you to. You know what I'm talking about? When you're reading a website, you're reading an article, and there's a blue hyperlink. Something's hyperlink. If you click it, it takes you to another page. Now, if you're reading an article about tacos, it's probably not going to take you to a page about politics, right? It's probably going to take you to a page about something related to tacos. Say, a related topic. Well, when you, the Bible does this all the time, hyperlinks to, to ideas and themes related to each other within it. When you see the phrase, at the latter days, or in the latter days, in the Bible, it's like a hyperlink that connects you to other places in the Bible that use that phrase. And here's what these other places that use the phrase, at the end of days, all have in common. They're talking about Jesus. Very specific. So, in the Hebrew Bible, the phrase at the end of days is a signal that the writer is starting to talk to you about things that are going to happen when Jesus comes. One key place that this shows up is Genesis chapter 49, verses 1 to 10. That's where this whole phrase starts. Genesis starts with these words. In the beginning. Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis, the book ends, almost, not quite to the ending, but Genesis 49 starts talking about what's going to happen at the end of the story. The end of days. When Adam, who messed it all up in the beginning, is replaced at the end of days by a man from the tribe of Judah who's going to be like a lion king. And he's going to come at the end of days, and all the peoples will one day obey him. He will rule the world, not Satan. He will overthrow the evil kingdoms of this world, and he will reign as king at the end of days. So, when Daniel uses this phrase, God is telling Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, that the greatest king imaginable, Jesus, is coming. God, Nebuchadnezzar, gave you this dream so that you would know that at the end of days, he's got a king coming who's going to destroy your empire and replace it with a kingdom that will never, ever end. That's what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is about. Now, let's look at this dream that contains mysteries that are revealed. What is Nebuchadnezzar seeing? He's seeing a statue. It's got a head. It's got a chest and arms. It's got thighs. It's got legs and feet. What is that? It's a person. It's a, it's a man, right? It's, it's a human. And it's an image of a human. Where does the language of image of a man come from? Genesis chapter 1. Man is made in the image of God. And what was man made in the image of God supposed to do over creation? Supposed to rule it? According to God's word. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. That's a ruling word. Over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So, Adam was created in the image of God to rule God's world on God's behalf for the honor of God. And in the dream, you have a man who is called an image, as we keep reading, an image that represents the kingdoms of men who are ruling earth. But something is wrong with this image in the dream. It's not a good thing. Verse 31 says it's frightening in appearance. It's supposed to make us think of something else in the Bible. It's supposed to make us think of the commandment of God in Exodus 20, you shall not make an image of any likeness under heaven. No idol making whatsoever. So the image of a man ruling the world, of, of some Adam figure ruling the world in this dream, it's not a good picture. It, re it represents Adam in rebellion, like we read about in Genesis 3. It represents all humanity in rebellion against the Creator. And the earthly kingdoms represented by this metal image, they are idolatrous kingdoms that have sought to achieve godlike status, lifting themselves up in pride, like we'll read about in chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, filled with pride, says, Is this not Babylon that I had made great for myself? And for my glory, and he's filled with pride. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. Just like the Tower of Babel was built in Genesis chapter 11 to ascend to heaven, to achieve godlike status, to build a rival mountain of God, like let's make a mountain of God out of bricks. And let's get up into heaven and say, we're like God. Look at the great name we've made for ourselves. Here we see the statue representing all of man's attempts to be like God. To be godlike. Man, when man raises himself up in pride, man attempts to replace God. That's what sin is. Sin is our attempt to be our own gods. We look at the God of the universe and we say, eh, my way, not your way. My way, God. My kingdom come. My will be done on earth, not as it is in heaven. And this statue represents that. Statue, which is an image, but it's an idolatrous image. And so in the vision, what happens? Verse 34, a stone is cut out by no human hand. Where do stone cutters mine stones? From mountains in the Bible. And here, a human hand is not involved in the cutting of this stone. It comes from a non-human source. It comes from God himself. And in this stone, cut by no human hand, strikes at the base of this idolatrous image of God, this statue, and it takes it down. So here's a picture of Adam in rebellion, and it's coming down. An image of God in rebellion against him, ruling the world in frightening ways. It's coming down. And it's replaced in verse 35 by this stone, cut not by human hands. It's not an idol. No humans made it. And it's becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. Now, Daniel 7, which we'll get to in a few weeks, it's going to give us a lot more clarity about the identity and the character of this 
stone that is actually an individual, a son of Adam. So this image of a golden man ruling the world is replaced by a rock in Daniel 2. We get more clarity about who the rock is in Daniel 7. The rock that appears at the end of days is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the son of Adam, a final and faithful Adam who's given dominion over the world. Now look at the interpretation, 2, 36 to 45. The dream is interpreted. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them. You hear the echoes of Genesis 1 there? God gave you, Nebuchadnezzar, Adam-like authority over the world. You're ruling the beast. You're ruling creation. It's like you are ruling all these things. You are the head of gold. You're coming down. Another kingdom inferior to you will arise after you. So it's not going to be as great as your kingdom. And yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these and as you saw the feet and toes, partly of clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they were literally, literally it said, they will mix with the seed of men, but they will not hold together. Just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, here it is, that will never be destroyed. Nor, this is the interpretation of the rock, nor will the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, and the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. So here we get the interpretation of the dream. It's just like a sketch. Have you ever given your kids or given someone an outline of a picture that then they have to fill in? In Daniel 2, we give the outline. We're given the outline, and the rest of the book of Daniel is going to fill in some of the details. So we're not going to get into details in the outline, but we're going to talk again about Jesus. The golden statue represents all the kingdoms of the world. Now, even if a kingdom doesn't call us leader a king, like America, we have a president. It represents us all. And these kingdoms, um, in the days, well, yeah, take that back. It, it represents specific kingdoms in Daniel. But then chapter the, the fourth kingdom, the mixed kingdom, we'll talk a lot more about that. Because that kingdom is not named in the book of Daniel. And uh, I think that, you know, the one that Jesus specifically defeats when he comes, where does the rock hit? hits the feet. And we'll talk about that in days to come, how that, I think, is the spiritual kingdom of Satan and all other kingdoms of this world that have 
not worship Jesus. They, that the Bible views as Satan, you know, Satan is behind them. They come down with the victory of Christ. So, lots to talk about in days to come. But right now I just want you to notice that this kingdom is compared to a rock. A rock that becomes a great mountain, and the mountain fills the earth. I had thought maybe I'd preach a whole sermon on this theme, but I'm not going to do it. Just know that the Bible actually pictures the Garden of Eden as being on a mountain. Later passages, like in Ezekiel, describe Eden as like a mountain where God dwells. It's like God's holy mountain. You come into God's presence on the mountain. And the picture of the Bible, where the story of the Bible moves, is that Adam and Eve had to leave the mountain because of sin. But one day, that mountain presence of God will be, will be able to go back. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? He who has a clean hands and a pure heart. The Bible asks, how can we get back up the mountain? Through Jesus. Through a final, faithful Adam. And so the, the Bible tells the story of the world as God is going to bring his holy mountain place where he lives. It's not like an actual mountain. It's imagery here. This mountain, his dwelling place, will be on earth again. And how does he start? He sends himself in the person of his son, the rock, Jesus, falls to earth, becomes enthroned as king, and this kingdom grows into a mighty mountain that will fill the whole earth. And the biblical authors, like Isaiah and Daniel, they picture God's kingdom as like, not just Eden, which was a mountain in the land, but all of a sudden Eden has gone global. Do you understand that? Eden and what was enjoyed there, the special fellowship with God, where God was king, and God's image was supposed to rule the world under God's word, that goes global in Daniel chapter 2. The mountain of Eden, the holy mountain of God, fills the whole earth. And God is king wherever the sun shines. And that's how the Bible ends as well, with the picture in Revelation of the new creation. It's glorious. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now let's look at the last few verses and the significance of those verses. Daniel is worshipped and exalted. Very interestingly. Look at verse 46 and 47 here. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at the king's court. So, last week, we looked at some of the significance of this very briefly. Here, you have Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king over the world at that time, bowing before a man from the tribe of Judah, Daniel. This we're reading with Bible in mind, this is a picture of what will happen and what Genesis 49 says will happen 
at the end of days when the Lion King of Judah comes. All peoples, in verse 10 of Genesis 49, will bow before the man from the tribe of Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. Here, Daniel starts talking about this stone that's going to come at the end of days and defeat all kingdoms. And as the story, the dream ends, what do we see? We see the greatest king of all in that time bow before a man from the tribe of Judah and then exalt him to rule the world. Daniel was lifted up as ruler of the world. And he even worships Daniel, as if Daniel were, was a god. But as he's worshiping Daniel, God gets the glory. Very interesting. In the Bible, there is one, Jesus, who comes. He is the perfect image of God, the perfect and final last Adam. And when Jesus is worshipped in the Bible, God the Father gets the glory. Here, Daniel is intended by the authors. They're not saying Nebuchadnezzar should have worshipped Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan king. He doesn't understand these things. What they're saying is, here you see a king bowing before a man from the tribe of Judah. That's pointing us forward to the day when one will come. Jesus, the lion king from the tribe of Judah. The hope and even the obsession of the biblical authors. That's all they thought about. It's all they prayed about. When will Jesus come? When will the nations bow to Jesus? When will the kings of the earth stop raging against God and bring obedience to the Son of God? Oh, it's in the days when Jesus comes. And we are still waiting. Jesus has come, and we are waiting for the fulfillment, the final period of Jesus as King, where he defeats death and brings about the fullness of the new creation. But even now, Right now, every time someone turns their heart to Jesus and repents of their sins and puts their trust in Him, the rule of King Jesus starts taking over their lives. And one more inch of creation comes under the rulership of Jesus, the King. So, some applications. First, I want you to see from this story that all of history is going somewhere. If God were not in control of the world, and the world was in control of itself, think, think about this. If creation, this world, we call it creation because we think of the creator. If the universe, let's say, was in control of itself, then natural processes would be in charge of history. In the end, the strong would win, the weak would lose. Survival of the fittest, natural selection would just be health and fashion. Who's to say we don't get hit by an asteroid and wiped out? Right? I mean, think about everything that we work at. Do things left alone get better or worse? Like your garden. Worse. They fall apart, right? You put something shiny, like a car, a nice shiny car, out in a field and leave it for three years, what happens? What do you think the universe would do left alone? Fall apart. Chaos. 
is the natural consequence of things being left alone. Genesis 1 is the opposite of chaos. God tames the world, the chaos waters. He drives them back and brings order through his word. And one day, Jesus will be king wherever the sun shines. This is the hope of the Bible, a certain hope for the future. We have come right now by faith as Christians to the rock that's growing into a big mountain that will fill the earth. Steadily, surely. And this kingdom, our hope, Daniel 2.44, it will never be destroyed. It's an eternal kingdom. And so we have an unshakable hope. This world is headed somewhere. You look at this world and you think, man, is there any hope for earth? Yes, there is. We need a new Adam. One who's not going to bring mess. One who's not going to bring death. One who will bring resurrection life. Daniel ends with the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12. Remember I said it's the whole story of the Bible? It's a pretty glorious book. And that's what happens when Jesus is king. One day he will raise all who have trusted him and we will live in a restored earth. Another thing. Notice how humble Daniel is in the face of the greatest ruler of the earth. Though Daniel has done something no one's able to do, interpret a vision, he refuses to take any credit for it. Did you notice that? You pointed it out when you were there. He says it's God who's done it all. And even though Daniel gets worshipped at the end of the story by King Nebuchadnezzar, it's ultimately Daniel's God who gets crowned with glory and honor for what Daniel has done. And that's the way of Jesus. He did not live his life on earth for his own fame, but for the glory of the Father. During Jesus' life on earth, we see as you read the Gospels, Jesus is obsessed with the honor of his Father, of God. Everything he does was not to put the spotlight on him, but put the spotlight on the Father. And so the Father exalted Jesus as the humble ruler over all the universe. And when we, as Jesus' image bearers, We've trusted him when we humbly and obediently do what we're called by God to do in the strength that God supplies. It's God who gets the honor and the glory for what we do. So no matter what you do at work or throughout the day, no matter what you look back at your life and feel like you've achieved, remember, it's God who deserves the honor for what you've done with the hands that he has given you, the breath he's enabled you to breathe, and the strength that you have. You have nothing that you did not receive. Nothing. Well, I worked for it. Who gave you the hands? Who gave you the breath? God. God is the giver of all things, therefore all the honor goes to him forever and ever. And when, when a final Adam came, who got Jesus, who is from God himself, God's own son, Jesus shows us the way. The way to be human is to put the spotlight on God. That's what it means to be in God's image. We reflect Him and His worth and His beauty as the source of life. Fourth, the third, I guess, the application, the, the purpose of dreams and visions from God and the Bible is always to draw us to Jesus. The stone that becomes a mountain. It's to compel us not to be caught up in amazement at Daniel's cool vision or a vision someone might have, but 
but to cause us to have awe and wonder at a person, a person we can have a relationship with through faith and obedience. If God, another application, if a God had a plan in Daniel for the rise and fall of nations, and if God has the power to bring about the rise and fall of kings and kingdoms and countries, then surely he has a plan for your life. You think if God is in control on such a huge level, bringing about the rise of all kings, how much more can he be king over the details of your life and my life and work all things out for our good if we are part of his kingdom? And then the final thing I just wanted to say, something I was thinking about this morning. Have you ever felt really small, kind of insignificant? I know sometimes I do. Um, if you ever wanted to be a part of something really big and really exciting, how about something as big as a mountain? I want to be a part of something like a big mountain. Friends, you and I, we are a part. If you trust in Jesus, if you follow him, you are a part of something that is of mountain-like significance, God's kingdom. As Jesus, as he brings his rule and reign into every corner of your life, and as you start to spread his rule and reign over everything that your life touches, like your money, your time, the things that he's given to you, and you use them and live with your friends and your neighbors in a way that shows that Jesus is your king and has control over you, when you're a part of that, you're a part of his kingdom, that's a part, that's being part of something of eternal significance that will never, ever be taken away. Even when you die, his kingdom will have no end. and He will raise you from the dead and everything you've done before for him will be remembered and he will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father for eternity. We are a part of something with massive global significance, the rule and reign of King Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are king and that if we have trusted in you and come to you through faith, that we are a part of your kingdom which will never be shaken. I pray that you would throw our hearts with that right now. In Jesus' name, amen.